My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Adeep Desai. Hi. Hi, Adeep. Welcome to myself. Welcome, welcome back. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Downton Abbey's back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Woo. Yeah yeah. Uh, Corey Corey Mandel is our is our guest today and I just have to apologize for a second because we have to geek out There's on, a dork on out. Down. Yeah, yeah. So I got the DVD sent and I I'm Which se- the newest season? Yes. <gasps> yeah, so I'm almost at the finale. So I won't tell you what happens. I'm I'm only up to where it's on PBS. I I don't think it's as really as exciting as the other seasons. No, it's not. But um, I, that doesn't like keep me from just sitting down and just binging on it all yeah. the time. Um, and I've, and I now go around talking like Elizabeth McGovern too. A lot. <laughs> Cause you, you know how she has this like, Oh, Oh, a deep, you know, like she's oh, got like that thing. Like, what will we do it down? Right. I, it is just the worst thing when you're, when you're made, <laughs> I can't do it now. Now I sound like a munchkin, but there's that thing. That I she know does, right? it's her thing. And I just find myself talking to my daughters like, Oh, Sarah, Oh, that is terrible. And they're like, who are you? Yeah. Like, I can't help it. Yeah. But Oh God, I was so, so upset last weekend after but, what happened. Yes. It's I'm not going to spoil I'm not going to spoil it, but something so upsetting happens to one of my favorite characters. And I was so angry at PBS. I was angry at everyone. I was like, how could you do that? to them and Laura's like it's a television it's show it's drama baby I know it's drama she's like you know I had to drag you to watch this show and you're way too into it and I was like I could be the first Indian person on Downton like I could be a servant but you know? we know we know what the Indian people in that era in, in Downton Abbey it's would be fine. doing it's it, fine it's ugly Adeep I know no. but I'd be down there with all the other servants and <laughs> me and Anna would they like hang out they put you in out. a special room I know well, you'd have fine. a room below the band leader it would <laughs> even that's, that's not. Yes. All right. I'm moving right. on. All right, moving on. Corey Mandel, do you watch uh, Downton Abbey at all? I did. You did. And did you did you did you abandon it at a certain point? I did. Did you start talking like Elizabeth McGovern as well? My wife wouldn't let me. Oh, yeah. Well, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. If you start talking like the Lord of the Manor, that's also you're in in trouble. Right. Yeah. We have Corey Mandel. I swear to God, we're actually going to ask him questions. Corey Mandel, yes, it's that Corey Mandel. If anybody is wondering, like, wait a minute, is it that guy that was on that episode a year ago talking about conceptual versus intuitive writing? Yes, it's that Corey Mandel, the guy who changed your life. I know because you wrote me letters about how he changed your life. Just, just, just uh, an overview with conceptual versus intuitive writing. Can you can you sum that up in, in five seconds so people remember? Oh, not five seconds, but I'll do it pretty quick. So basically, a little more time. <laughs> basically, there are, there are writers out there that are really good with structure, and there are writers out there who are really good with characters, but there's not a lot of writers who are good at both, and most writers have a weak link. And there's two creative muscles to writing, the conceptual and the intuitive. And they have 
a whole different set of value systems and skill sets. And most writers are wired to be either conceptual or intuitive. And so conceptual writers tend to start with an idea, uh, a structure. They work outside in. Um, they're very focused on logic and pacing, um, twist endings, where intuitive writers work inside out. So they often start with a character or an emotion. And it's a very different way of writing. So conceptual writers, when it comes to characters, they invent their characters, where intuitive writers discover their characters and they're like real people to them. So conceptual writers almost always can't go the distance because their characters seem written. They seem like puppets. And they try to solve that with conceptual techniques, which just makes it worse. So the idea of creative integration is most writers write to their strengths and hide their weaknesses. The idea is write to your weakness, hide your strength. So develop your weak side, bring it up to it becomes a strength, and then integrate the two. And um, you're just going to have to go back to that old podcast. Go back to the podcast, definitely. You should be listening to all of Pilar's right, podcasts exactly, anyway. Exactly, exactly. But it def- it, it, I, I want to let you know, um, in my own classes, um, I've used these phrases completely attributed to you, Corey Mandel. Um, but... It, to explain to people why maybe in the first half of my class, which deals a lot with the outlining process, there are some people who sit there and they go, oh my God, and they start to panic. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute. All right. Okay. You are an intuitive person and this is going to be hard for you, this right. part of it. But wait till the last three classes where we're digging into dialogue and character and the minutia of the page and you're going to rock those, those three weeks. Um, so it's been, it, it, they were terms that really helped me in just saying really blanket, like, okay, we've got these two kinds of writers here. Do know that we're going to be dealing with your strengths as we go through my particular process, cool. you know, that, you know, just so they have like a term for it. So I do appreciate it. Um, trust me, I'm not doing the Corey Mandel, uh, school of writing. You've got your, your whole technique is based around that. <laughs> I, I teach out of my garage. Do you? Yeah. Do you? No. Um, but I just, it's, it was, a, it was so great to have that, those kind of terms to associate with for, for these four writers. And I know that it totally blew their mind. So yes, it's that Corey Mandel. Corey oh, yeah. Mandel is also an award-winning playwright and screenwriter who's written projects for Ridley Scott, Wolfgang Peterson, Harrison Ford, John Travolta, Julia Roberts, Warner Brothers, Universal, 20th Century Fox, Fox 2000, Fox Family, Working Title, Paramount, Live Planet, Beacon Films, Touchstone, Trilogy, Radiant, Copelson Entertainment, and Walt Disney Pictures. Man. He left the good stuff out. What no, I'm just not <laughs> kidding. I'm just like, oh. So, so he is here, um, and this time, what we're going to be talking a little bit about is breaking into the business, um, because you know, over these past couple of months, actually, you've uh, developed a class about breaking into the business. You've been talking about breaking into the business because I saw that sort of through the writer store, didn't you? Do like oh, I did a one-day webinar, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so. Tell me a little bit about what you talk about in, in your breaking into the business webinar and wh- where you would start with that. I will do that. Okay. Let me start um, with how I broke in the business. Okay. Because I was really lucky and I think the story will help illuminate um, some really big mistakes that a lot of writers make. So I was in film school and I, had, and I was in a writing group and we really prided ourselves on giving really honest feedback. And there was an actual, uh, an Academy Award nominated writer in the writing group. So it was really cool to be there. And I'd written a script and the writing group was really positive and they gave me some notes and I did some rewrites and they eventually said, this script's awesome. This script will absolutely sell. You should take the script to market. 
So I showed the script to a professor of mine at UCLA who had, you know, over the years worked with a lot of students who'd gone on to be very successful. And he couldn't have been more positive. He said, the script is great. It'll definitely sell. I'd, I'd love to help you get an agent with this script. And at the time I was interning for a manager. So almost as a favor, I showed him the script to see, you know, if he wanted to shop it. So he read it and we had a meeting and I'll never forget. I went in there and he basically said, this is a pretty good rough first draft, but you don't want to show anyone in the industry the script because it'll hurt you to show this script. And I'm like, uh, did I mention what my professor said? Did I mention what these people in the writing group said? <laughs> I mean, it was not what I was expecting. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, all of those people are not in the business of breaking writers into the business. I'm in the business of breaking writers in the business. And I know how high the bar is. And you only get one first impression. And if you go out and you don't get the best possible coverage, you're going to start burning bridges. And this script's not at that level. And I think he could tell that I was really conflicted. So he suggested, why don't I hire some actual studio readers, pay them under the table, and have them do the actual coverage they would write if the script had come to them. And that way it's not going into the data pool. No one sees the coverage if it's bad. There's no paper trail. Exactly. Uh, Very Jack Ryan covert. (laughs) And it cost money that I didn't have, but I did it honestly in many ways because he was my only conduit to the industry. So I I hired three readers, one at Imagine, one at uh, Warner Brothers, and I actually forget what the third one was. And as you know, when the coverage comes back, they're going to rate the script and the writer uh, recommend, consider, or pass. And the first coverage came back, and for the writing, it said pass. And that was like a real kick to the gut. And the next one was a pass, and the next one was a pass. And the manager really had my attention then, and he said, if you want to work with me, I'll help you develop the skill sets that you're lacking to get you to that level. And he took me under his wing, and he mentored me for almost two years. And finally, after about two years, he said, I'll pay for the coverage now. And he hired three different uh, readers, and the coverages all came back, recommend, recommend, recommend. A few weeks later, I had an agent, and a few weeks later, I was literally in a room with Ridley Scott, um, who hired me to write Metropolis. Um, And that's a little bit off off subject, but um, I remember... um, I originally went into Scott Free, Ridley Scott's company, and I uh, pitched to a woman, Sue, who was the development executive. And she brought me in a couple weeks later to pitch to Mimi, who was Ridley's producer. And I was told that Ridley wouldn't be back in the country for a while. So they were going to bring me to Ridley, but I, I had to wait. And they give me some notes, and I didn't really think... So I had to redo the pitch, but I hadn't really figured out how to do it because I knew it was going to be a while before I was actually in a room with Ridley Scott. And like the next week, my agent called me in the morning and I was up really late the night before, and I was like asleep when the phone rang. And she said, um, Ridley Scott's in town, and he would like to meet you at 11.30 to hear the pitch. And I think it was like 10 o'clock, and I hadn't showered or shaved, and I had to get all the way across town. And I said, oh, that's exciting. C- can we push it back? Can I meet him like at 2 or 3? And there was this pause, and I'm sure she was thinking, <laughs> I signed this guy. And she's like, uh, Corey? Ridley's in town. He'd like to hear your pitch at 1130. I'm like, yes, I'll be there. But it really worked to my, my advantage because the whole time I never got scared because I was like literally shaving, oh, showering, yeah. redoing the pitch, driving there, pitched it to him. He bought it in the room. I was driving back and all of a sudden I started shaking. I'm like, I met Ridley Scott. That was Ridley Scott. <laughs> Not that he bought it in the room, but you met him. That, is that what you're That's actually when about? I got like that delayed reaction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, they bought it in the room, but there was a while for the negotiations and until until the actual check cleared the bank. I just knew it wasn't going to happen, but right, somehow it did. Right, right. So anyway, sorry for that diversion. But the, my point is, um, if I was, I was really lucky to be interning for that manager because there's other people out there that'll just throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks. And I was getting all this praise on the script that had I gone to the marketplace with it, it would have hurt me. Mm. Um, let me share something that I think that some of your listeners might find a little chilling, but I think it's really important. An agent came in to one of my UCLA classes last year and said, uh, the single biggest mistake that writers make when they're trying to break in the business is going out to the industry with material that's not at the highest level, not at the level it needs to be. And this is what he told my class. He said, if I read your script and it's not at that level, I'm going to stop reading the script and I'm not going to represent you and I'll never represent you. And my agency will never represent you ever in a sense you're blacklisted. And I remember somebody going, Whoa, like that is chilling. That is chilling. And, and if you think about it, well, writers can improve, right? I mean, okay, maybe I'm not that level now, but I can be two or three years from now. This is what he said. And I think everyone is trying to break the business needs to hear this. He said, We've made a strategic decision at our agency that we do not want to be in the stupid writer business. We want to be in the smart writer business because stupid writers just take so much more time and energy and we're so busy. We just want to be dealing with smart writers. And if you get your script to me and you have control when you want to show someone in the industry your script and you think it's ready and it's not, you're stupid. So we never want to represent you. That's pretty severe. I don't know if all agents would take it to that level, but the single biggest mistake that I constantly hear from agents is that writers are in such a rush. And to defend writers for a moment, there's so much BS stories out there that when a writer sells a script or launches their career, they always act like it was the first thing they wrote and they wrote it over the weekend and it was just sort of easy. And because the industry believes in natural talent. So you're smart to play that. I have a, a writer I worked with for two years and she worked with a manager for three years concurrently. And she just sold two scripts. And her story is basically that she just started writing a month ago. And she's smart to play that game. Um, and I know, I'm not gonna out anybody, but I know a lot of now big name writers who have these stories about, you know, stripper turned writer or waiter turned writer. <laughs> and it just sort of effortlessly happened for them on their first or second script. And the reality is this industry is full of um, overnight successes that took seven years to get there. So I think a really important thing that people have to understand is you do not want to go out to the marketplace until you are absolutely convinced that your script is good enough. And what happens is those coverage reports are data-based. So if you go to a particular company or management company and the script isn't good enough, you haven't just burned your bridge there. You burn your bridge everywhere because the next time you try to talk to someone who's reading a script, they can go, if they're in the industry, and see the coverage that that other place wrote. So basically, they share all that information. So it's a bit insidious, but that's the reality out there. Um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for just a second in terms of the writer that says but how do I know when it's ready? Mm -hmm. What if I miss my opportunity? Because there's that other part of it, we've talked about it in another podcast, of people who are so scared to pull the trigger that other people who just happen to have more confidence, but not necessarily more talent, end up getting their job. Right. So, um, so how do you know? That's a great question. So I would, my answer is, 
the, what my manager told me, which is hire readers. They're not that hard to find. You can pay them 100, 150 bucks under the table and say, if this was the actual script that came across your desk, what would the coverage be? And you just show it to me. And my warning is, for the most part, don't hire anyone who's advertising online because there, there are readers out there that advertise this, but a lot of them, they're, they're running a, um, a volume business. And for some of them, they give great inflation. They, they tell people what they want to hear because that's how you get people happy to come back. And I've run into quite a few writers who said, well, I've hired so-and-so and so-and-so, and they said my script, they gave me recommends, and I went out the industry, and I was just totally trashed. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your policy is. I know you do consultations, and I've mm-hmm. sent people your way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do them right now, but when I did them, you know, my policy was, I'm not going to tell you if I think the script's ready or not. I'm going to help you Make Ex- it execute on your vision to make it the best possible script. And that's what a good consultation should do. So, so let's talk about the difference so that people understand. The readers that you're talking about, you're saying pay a studio reader who is working for a studio or production company. Or network. Or network. Pay them under the table. Right. This is their job. And you're right. asking, if this came to you, right. what would the coverage right. be? So they're okay. not advertising online. They don't have a business. They are a reader. Right. So they're, so they're the actual reader out there. And then there are just, again, I just, because as a script consultant, I do want to make the, sure. the distinguish it that a good script consultant, what that person does is look at your work and tr- gives you notes toward making it everything you intend before it goes out in the world. Right. So they're not saying, they're not doing studio coverage in the fact that studio coverage tends to be more of a blanket statement. Right. It tends to be yes or no. A, a consultation, a good consultation is always like, sure, let's make right. this a movie and this would be the stage, right. the steps you need to take toward doing it. Right. So I just want to be yes. very clear and, about and, that. And to confuse it even more, then there's a third category of folks who were readers mm-hmm. who now have a side business or a full business where they actually do the coverage. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like this, but they're doing it as a volume business. So what I'm suggesting is network and find actual working readers who are not having a business of, of doing this and hire them. And I think that is the absolute best way of knowing. Excellent. Okay. So, so let's say that, all right, now, uh, you've done that. Okay. You've gotten decent coverage. You're feeling right. like, okay, it's good to go. Right. Now How do what? you, right. Great question, Pilar. So obviously you need it. A critical step is getting an agent. Uh, agent sells you material. Agent gets you jobs, gets you in the right rooms with the right people. And when you're starting out, an agent gives you credibility because everyone's so busy out there. Um, if you don't have an agent, almost everyone in the industry is just going to assume you're not good enough to get an agent, so they're not going to read your material. There are people out there who don't have agents who are amazing writers, but they're the minority. So an agent gives you credibility. So the question, and I'm sure you get this asked all the time, it's probably the most popular question, how do I get an agent? And we and just to let you know, so last week's uh, podcast was all about that from mm-hmm. the point of view of Chad Gervich, who's who's network. Uh, I'm sorry, who's a uh, TV. TV, TV right. yeah, great. So, um, so I am curious as well. To I didn't. Your, I haven't your, heard that podcast, so yeah. I don't know if this will agree or disagree. But what I'll say comes from talking to a lot of agents and having a lot of agents come and talk to my classes. So here's what I would say. I think the honest truth is, for the most part, agents don't want to read new writers' material. That's just the truth. And the reason is, agents are so incredibly busy, especially the good agents, that they're honestly getting up at 7 in the morning on the weekends to read their own clients' material or material from writers in the agency they got to keep up with. So writers are always complaining about how hard it is to get people in the industry to read their material. What they don't understand is what they're asking someone to do is get up at 6 in the morning. Mm -hmm. 
right? And, you know, just think about it. Would you want to get up at six in the morning to read a stranger script, especially when most stranger scripts aren't as good as they think they are? So the, I believe the reality is the only, that's all, I think pretty much the only way you're going to get an agent to read your script is if someone they trust gives them the script and says, you need to read the script. So that raises two questions. The first question is, how do you get someone who has that credibility? And I think that's actually the easier question to answer. And I'll come back to that. I'd like to actually answer, I think, the, the question that a lot of writers get wrong, which is, what kinds of scripts are agents looking for? Because obviously the short answer is, write a script that's worthy of being recommended. I think a lot of writers make a lot of mistakes when it comes to what kind of scripts they should be writing. And so I think the best way to talk about this is to talk about how the game is played. And if you get an agent or when you get an agent, um, this is probably what's going to happen to you. Some variation of this. They're going to try to sell your script, which probably means trying to package it with elements. And they'll probably send you on a round of meetings. And those meetings could be 20 or 30 meetings or so. A lot of those meetings are what's known as general meetings, which is you're not going to launch a career from that meeting. They're not in a place to hire you, but they want to meet you and develop a relationship with you to try to find a way down the road to meet, to work with you. And those are really important meetings. This is a relationship-driven business. It's amazing how many writers don't, they dismiss general meetings because they can't get a job out of them. Okay. And then there are meetings where you can actually get a career. You can be in a room where someone's like, we're looking for this kind of idea. Do you have, you know, do you have an idea that you can pitch us? Or we're looking for a writer to do a rewrite on this or adapt this. So in this round of meetings, you might launch a career. I wrote a script that had Meg Ryan attached and she was a big star at the time. And we got Chris Manol who had just come off prime suspect. And this was, a, it wasn't a matter of if the script sells, it was how much it will sell for. And as it, a funny thing happened on the way to that script sale <laughs> is that a similar movie came out and bombed at the box office. And regardless of the execution of that movie, suddenly no one wanted my script. So the script didn't sell. But I launched a career on my second meeting, which was the Ridley Scott meeting. So writers are so focused on writing stuff that sells. But the reality is, you know, call the Writers Guild and ask the Writers Guild of all the revenue that writers make over the last five years, how much of it comes from script sales? And it's like 10%. 90% of the money is in being hired, staff writing in TV, and or feature assignments. How, so, how much of, uh, of, of the credits that I, I read out, how, what percentage of your career was a sale versus an assignment versus... I, I, sold, I sold two pitches, and I sold one spec script, and I did 16 for studio writing assignments. 16 for studio writing assignments. Right. Wow. Paid writing assignments. And I know this is a diversion, sure. okay? But can you define what you mean by paid writing assignments for studios if those particular writing assignments, were those all for produced scripts or were they assignments that, were they all rewrites? Like, can you, can you tell us yeah, a little I mean, bit uh, about, most the, about the name? So I did that. a project for Touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, when Todd Garner was there and it, they had an original idea and they hired me to write their idea. Um, and Wolfgang Peterson hired me to adapt the novel that he wanted to make as a movie. Um, but most of those assignments were rewrites and it ranged from, I did a project called Aftermath um, for Touchstone and they literally told me in the room, 
we love the title and we love the idea and we want you to change everything else. So that's what's known as a page one rewrite where you get paid to rewrite, basically take an idea and write an entirely different script. All the way to, I did production rewrites where I'm on set um, being paid to rewrite comedy or structure or characters as the movie's being made. So This is good. The, the reason I'm asking is a lot of times we talk about well, what does a meeting lead to? And, and often we sort of generalize and say, well, work. Right. But you have done all aspects of that kind of work in the feature world. So I right. want people yeah. to understand exactly right. what that means and the fact that you could be paid to do a rewrite and it never actually gets on screen. Right. You've been paid. You are a working writer. Right. And maybe that project, because of for whatever reason, which has to do with the studio and not you, it doesn't right. get to screen. And, and you may not get credit, right? Yeah, I've worked on stuff that I didn't get credit on, and I've worked some stuff that I got credit that I wish I didn't. But Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so you know, look at someone like um, Eric Singer, who wrote American Bullshit that became uh, American Hustle. He wrote a script, I think, 10 years ago called The Sky is Falling, um, which everyone loved. It was on the blacklist. It was very dark, very violent. People loved it, but I think people were scared to make it because of that. But he got a lot of work, and none of that got made. Eventually, he had a movie with Clive Owen get, ma- get made, and now American Hustle, and he, I'm sure, is going to have a nice career now. Or, I mean, But he was working all that time making... I don't know what his career was, but my understanding was he was doing just fine. I, I'm not going to speak for the gentleman. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of writers out there that have nice careers and don't have credits. Now, how do you maintain a career... And I guess it's, this is two-part. And how do you deal with lags in that career or bumps in that career? Because everybody has them. I mean, a, a, common, a, common, a common story on this podcast is the person who did great mm-hmm. and then suddenly it was crickets and couldn't handle it. Right. So how do you maintain this? How do you keep this going? Oh, boy. Um, I was incredibly lucky and I don't know why I was so lucky I never didn't work um, I worked nonstop as a writer for 11 years and I never I I always had my next job booked before I finished the, the project I was working on so I never dealt with that um, in the middle well about the middle of my career I was involved in a film called Battlefield Earth which arguably is one of the worst films of all time <laughs> and um it's, it's hard to talk about it without being defensive and i'm trying right. not to be but i will say if you go to my uh, website coreymendel.net there's that little plug um you can listen to my kcr interview i did a whole uh, interview on kcrw about it but the short story is i was at a point where i was starting to panic because i'd written projects for really scott and wolfgang peterson and they came so close to getting made and they didn't for just a whole bunch of reasons and I was thinking that the gravy train was going to end soon. I need to get something made. And so Fox 2000 came to me, Laura Ziskin, who I have so much respect for. And everyone told me not to take the project because of the whole Scientology thing. But John Travolta was a big star. He was going to make this movie. And Laura Ziskin gave me a lot of assurances. And I had a lot of confidence in Fox 2000. So I said yes. Right before I turned the draft in, she leaves Fox 2000. Fox 2000 is no longer in the Battlefield Earth business. And it ends up at Franchise Films, which is a financier company. They don't have any development. So basically, John's advisors now are the, the creative development team. I think the budget went from $100 million to something like $18 million. And I don't know exactly what happened with the script that I wrote. But anyway, long story short, that came out. And you would think if you're going to have crickets like that, 
I thought it was over. I remember being in Vegas and having a conversation with my agent. And I remember then having a conversation with my wife. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so chapter two, what am I going right. to do now? <laughs> and my agent's like, no, no, no. And, and I continued to work after that. And I don't... So the, the stink didn't stick to you. It, it, you were able to weather that I think that I think easily. that people in the industry understand what happened with that project. And yeah. I also think I was really fortunate in having written projects, you know, like when I wrote the project for Ridley Scott, like he said very nice things about it on the front page of variety. That's the script. That's not a bad thing to right, be. Right. And the script that I wrote for Wolfgang Peterson, I think was positively received. So I think I was in a stronger, if, if Battlefield Earth was my first or second dance out there. So let me share the story. So after the Ridley Scott deal, um, an agent, Barbara Dreyfus, who was at ICM where I was at, she wasn't my agent, but she was at the industry. She took me out for lunch and she said, listen, you're now on the radar and everyone's going to come at you with projects and they're going to offer you a lot of money. And when you say no, they're going to really want you. Cause this is like high school, right? They want the person they can. Have. Exactly. You have to keep saying no until you're offered the project that you would have written for free, which is to say the project that you know you can deliver and you so much want to write. And she said, as you start saying no, the offers will slow down and you're going to want to panic. Don't. And if you don't get the right offer, you need to spec your next script because she said you're now on the radar and your next project will determine if you're going to be an A-list writer or kind of a grunt just struggling for assignments. And when she said it, I knew that was the most, I just knew that was so profoundly true. And like two projects later, they offered me something. And I said, no, they doubled my quote. I said, no, they offered me more money. And I said, yes. I mean, I failed the test so so <laughs> easily. You failed a test. Well, but I think it put me on this road where I was taking assignments just from a reactive fear base, like just wanted the money, just wanted the money. And that mindset where I just surrendered control of the industry and I was sort of like a victim mm. to it all, mm -hmm. that led me to Battlefield Earth. I so see. The way I own Battlefield Earth is I made certain decisions that put me on a road and it led me there. And it was a it was a humiliating experience. But I really learned a lot. And also, and I credit my wife for saying this and she's, she's dead on right is it really made me the teacher that I am today because it softened me and it humbled me because before that, cause things happened so easily for me, I was kind of arrogant and I don't think I had as much empathy as I do now. And you have a experience like that, you know, it kind of helps you put things in perspective. Well, this has actually been really valuable. Thank you for, for talking about it because it, it I mean, the fact that you kept working and the fact also that, you know, I think that a lot of people might be like, and then I got so desperate, I took anything. But right. you actually, you have the opposite story. It was, it was the taking anything that you feel might have led you there. And so actually you became more, uh, I, I guess, picky about, about the stuff that you did. And yet you've really kept working. Right. Um, how does one say no and keep a keep a career and and is it you saying no to your agent and then they're saying no for you or is it you saying no in the room oh i would never say no in the room okay. but i have some i don't have a lot of experience in saying no but I, <laughs> it, could, it could work either way and that's a really great question Pilar. and you know maybe this is a cop-out but because uh, a fair amount of people i've worked with you know have gone on to have careers and face that situation and you know what i tell them is my job is to get you to a point to help you develop yourself to the point where you get into that dilemma, it's your job to figure out what to do. And I really think there's no right or wrong answers. And I've seen people go different ways. And I think, but to back up to your question, I think that when a writer does hit crickets, 
They just have to keep writing original material. I think that's on spec and, and yeah, but even when you're, when your career is going good, you should be writing original material. That's so important. Right. And if I could use that to sort of circle back to breaking the industry. So I think that a lot of writers, they think that they want to write something that an agent can sell. I've heard a lot of agents say that the, when they sign a client, they sign their client off of a script that they're confident they can't sell. And that's kind of a strange idea for people. And the reason is what agents are looking for is they're looking for writers who can have careers. So writers, think about Aaron Sorkin or Diablo Cody. Like, think about what they're going to make over 20 years. And 10% of that is a nice asset. So they're looking for writers who can keep working. And so they're looking for writers who are brand names. That's what I hear a lot. So if you think about Diablo Cody or Aaron Sorkin or Eric Singer, only Eric, Eric, Eric Singer can write an Eric Singer script. And only Diablo Cody can write a Diablo Cody script. And when those writers hit it, they hit it big. And so agents are looking for that. So what I hear a lot is agents are looking for scripts that can go viral, which is it's a script that everyone's passing around town, everyone's excited about, everyone's talking about, because agents want to be in the incoming phone call business, not the outgoing phone call business. So if you're an agent, you don't want to be picking up the phone, calling executives saying, hey, I got this new writer, John Smith, he's great, you got it. What you want is, you know, Pilar, who's a big time, let's say a big time producer, calling you saying, hey, how come I haven't met with John Smith? Everyone in my office is talking about John Smith. I want to meet with John Smith. So they're looking for scripts that can go viral, that everybody gets excited about, and there's a, there's a real energy in people wanting to meet you. And those scripts are pitch-perfect authentic scripts, and I've stolen that from an agent, that term. And authentic is a script that only you could write. And so many writers, and I, I understand this, but Hollywood is risk-adverse, so they are making copycat movies, right? So when The Hangover came over, everyone wants to make their Hangover. Um, everyone was looking for their Game of Thrones. And when they make a rom-com, often they'll, it's a formulaic, four square, uh, follow the book. This happens on page 10. This happens on page 15. This happens on page 30. You it's really hard to break in the business writing that kind of script. Nobody cares. Those scripts don't go viral. So if you buy a popular book and you follow that formula, the best that somebody's going to say is, hey, you're really smart at following this recipe and you have some good dialogue and good characters, but who cares? Th there's a lot of people that can do that and some of them have credits. So... You want to write a script that only you could have written that's pitch-perfect execution that everybody buzzes about. And it's often a script like Eric Singer, who wrote The Sky is Falling. It's not a script that's an easy sell. So I think a lot of writers, I see this way, so many, so many years like following the formulas or trying to write to the marketplace. It's just not going to get you a career. Do you... Um I, I totally don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have any other titles in your head of these scripts? That, sure. I mean, that, think, that I viral? doubt that uh, David Seidel was saying, I want to write to the marketplace. I think what everyone wants is a movie about a stutterer. <laughs> you know, when he wrote The King's Speech. He, he, that was an authentic script. Uh-huh. And, and that you know, was connected to his own personal right. story, too, right. right? And if you, for instance, look at Breaking Bad, not that Vince Gilligan was cooking meth, but Vince Gilligan <laughs> was on a, on a very popular show, The X-Files, mm -hmm. left that show, had real troubles getting hired, had real economic um, uh, insecurity. Um, and a lot of people who were on that show were going on for success, and he wasn't. Think about Walter White. There's a lot of parallels. He was hanging out with friends writers who couldn't get hired they were really in a bad space they were trying to figure out ways to make money someone was joking about you know cooking meth vince gilligan's like i'm just gonna get an rv and drive across the country and just drop out and someone <laughs> said hey let's put this together but the point is if you think about the pilot for breaking bad it's an authentic it, it comes from an authentic place that he that he created just like alan ball with american beauty um 
So that's what I'm talking about. I mean, Diablo Cody is not like I'm going to write a movie about a high school girl that gets knocked up because that's so obviously just go to the blacklist and look at the blacklist scripts. The, this is something that I think is interesting. I recently had a lunch with a producer and he was complaining. They want to hire a writer. They're going to pay out of their own pocket. They don't have, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars And so they went through the blacklist for the last five years and they made a list of all the writers who wrote scripts that they thought would be a good fit. And they figured of those writers, some of them haven't hit a career yet. So they'd be excited to maybe this, they all were making six figures writing, you know, with careers. My point is when you can write these kind of scripts, you're going to get noticed. You're going to get the right kind of meetings. And if you keep at it, something's going to happen to you. People, you know, for the, the newer writers out there that are listening to this, there's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of people that say, oh, you want to be a writer. You know, your chances aren't very good. I disagree. I think there's two kinds of writers. I think there's writers that can write pitch perfect, authentic scripts. And there's all the writers that can't. <laughs> and the writers that can't, I think their chances are basically zero. And the writers who can, I think that they've got a really good chance at a career if they keep at it. And I don't know anyone who writes to that level that didn't get their break. Now, if they sustain the career or not, that's a whole separate conversation. So I think the question that writers want to be asking themselves is, what do they need to learn to be able to write to pitch perfect authentic? And the thing is, you need development and you have weaknesses and you're going to probably need to find someone, someone like a Pilar or someone like myself, or I actually, no disrespect to, to you or, or me, but I actually think the best person is someone you don't pay. I think the best person is if you can find a mentor, mm-hmm. if you can find a successful writer or, or a manager who's willing to take you under their wing, that's the best way to go at it because I won't speak for yourself, but you know, I teach the professional screenwriting workshop and I give my focus to these writers for three hours a week and I feel that what I'm giving them is very valuable, but I'm not there day in and day out with them. There's a limit to what I can do for them. And when I did script consults, it was the same thing. You're paying for this block of time, but yeah, you can pay for another one, but it's a whole different situation when you have someone like a manager or a writer who's going to mentor you. Cause that's sustained and they, you can grow with them exactly. and they grow with you. Like yeah. your advice, the, their advice right. to you will grow as you grow and right. I would think particularly with a manager more than a writer because a a manager could see you as a potential client. Somebody potentially, if they Mm -hmm. work with you enough, gets to a certain place where they could actually make money off of you Sure, and and would want to keep that. I agree with that, but I think if you find a writer who knows what they're doing is willing to mentor you, that's gold too because a manager, they can cool on you. And also there's a, you know, with a manager, sometimes they might want you to go in a certain direction. You don't really want to do that, but you're kind of tied to them. So, but I would agree with you, and I would say most people who are mentored, it is by managers. Um, but so I think that if someone's looking to break in the business, what you really want to do is figure out what the essential skill sets are. You might answer them differently, but for me, what I would say is you have to build the right and compelling conflict. And I think only about 5% of writers naturally do that, and the other 95% are going to need to learn how to do that. You're going to need to be able to create characters that readers want to spend time with. You're going to need to learn how to create organic story structure and so it's non-formulaic, strong structure and how to integrate the two. You're going to need to understand premise construction, which is a lot of people have ideas. I'm sure you see this all the time, but that idea is not a premise yet for a movie or for a pilot or for a series. And you have to understand how to take an idea and turn it into a premise that can sustain a series or a script. You have to be able to a- answer the question, and then what? Right. And repeatedly. And then rewriting. So my quick plug is, um, and I, I, I always recommend Pilar. 
Um, but uh, another option, if you're looking for options, <laughs> is you can go to CoreyMandel.net. Like, like I wouldn't be plugging your website. <laughs> Come on. I do my job here. CoreyMandel.net. What else? Um, so we, I do a professional screenwriting workshop. It's eight weeks, and it focuses on these skill sets and creative integration. And I do it live in LA in Santa Monica, and I do it online uh, using video, real-time video conferencing. And I have, right now, writers from like literally all over the world. Um, so if you're interested, the, the upcoming workshops are all sold out. There's a couple spots in March and in the April one. So you can go to the website or email me at Corey at CoreyMandel.net. And because I love Pilar so much, if you mentioned that you listened to this podcast, you would get a $50 discount. I know. Crazy. A $50 (laughs) discount. My gosh. See, you you just got, you just made money listening to this podcast. (laughs) Wait, I didn't make any money though. Hold on. I made money. (laughs) That's right. You made money. This is, there's something wrong. But it's not. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Corey, I can't thank you enough for for being on this. Um, And yes, I, uh, you know, the the reason we had Corey back was because um, so many people did get so much out of the last podcast and have really enjoyed working with you. Um, So thank you for being here and also for your patience with this actually being the third time. So third time's a charm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to uh, remind everybody that I also teach class. If you come to my class too, it's um, if you go to onthepage.tv, the rewrite class is starting and it is March 1st um, and it runs for six Saturdays, 1230 to 330 here in Los Angeles. Um, also, there will be a March 30th a career class here with uh, Lee Jessup talking about the career end. I'm going to be talking about the pitching end, and that will also be online. So if you're not in town, um, we will be live streaming it. So you can look on the on the page website and see a sign up for both in person and online. Thank you so much. Yeah, again. thank you for having me. I really again. appreciate it. Is uh, uh, I guess, I guess, um, is there anything that you're working on right now? Because Adeep was saying, what's he working was on like, right now? Corey are you, are you writing a spec right now? And can you, can you share? Actually, I, I can't say anything right now, but there's something that, um, knock on wood, shortly I'll be able to make an announcement on. But right now, I can't say anything. Oh, I like secrets. <laughs> okay. You like to know secrets. I like to know secrets. <laughs> that's, that's when the mics go off, I find right, out. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks again to Corey. Thanks to Adip. You're welcome. And have a good writing week.